are you uh, all you women listening out there? I'm going to make you dripping wet right now. Every woman, I want to ask you a question. Do you know my friend Lisa? No? Well, you're hotter than her. Can you please fuck me? Can you please fuck me? Can you please fuck me? I'm the governor. Please fuck me. Please. 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 What if you were naked right now? What are you? What, what, oh, my God. Please, please, please. What if, what if, what if, what if, what if you got really sweaty while doing paperwork and all your clothes fell off? I have a stomach ache. You have to fuck me. You're hotter than my friend Lisa. Guys, this is how to get pussy the New York State away. <laughs> The Andrew Cuomo way, uh, who is under fire from Democrats for never have had, ha- having had sex. That's what I've <laughs> yeah, learned from his sexual harassment emails. That's he's the problem. Never fucked anyone. That's really the issue with Cuomo is that he's icky. Not the fact that he's running a, a Logan's Run pandemic plan and just murdering the elderly. Yeah, these are like... His way that he thought he was going to fuck Lindsay Boland was being like, do you know my friend? You're even hotter than her. Like, are you nine years old? Like, he fucking sucks. He's, he's such a fucking buffoon. Uh, but, yeah, no, I mean, he's going to try to do the Ralph Northam playbook, I think. Right. Wait, how so? He's going to sign like popular things like, you know, legalizing weed, which they were already looking to do and shit and just like keep his head down for three months. But it's like he can't do the Ralph Northam thing because he can't keep his head down. And he also like doesn't really want to do any of the things that Ralph Northam like quietly signed on on uh, as that sort of saved him and made it very popular in Virginia. I Well, my favorite aspect of this is the um – because, you know, he dated uh, Sandra Lee for a yeah, very for a long, long time. time. Yeah. Yeah. The um, the the waspy, like just uh, rich people alcoholism cooking show hostess uh, who has some of the best. I mean, that's kind of, I think, early, early YouTube like virality was like videos of Sandra Lee. Like, here's the cocktail. And it's just like an entire bottle of vodka, and then just like a spritz of chloroseptic. Cocktail time. We are going to have a great cocktail. And it's super simple to do. You just need equal parts of lemon liqueur, vodka, cognac, which is brandy, one cup peach schnapps. I'm going to add a little bit of vodka in here. I love this stuff. I mean, you kind of understand how how and why women like that exist. Like, I date a very powerful man. He's very busy, and uh, I consume uh, a case of Grey Goose a week. He's never fucked me. He's never. He fucked doesn't me. know how to. He's afraid. Yeah. This is like yeah the Aziz and sorry me too in that it's like yeah they like did something they should do but mostly it just reveals like that they have never had sex or are bad at it. I mean up there uh, he's got to be up there now with Anthony Weiner for amazing uh, game. Just New York, yeah, New York politician yeah. game is the best in the nation. Yeah, they're really good at it. Uh, but I don't know what. I think we're past the point of him resigning. Oh yeah, who's gonna make? Like him I don't think it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, my God, no. he fucking personally smothered a bunch of old people with pillows, and nothing happened. What right? Hell, what are you gonna do about to him? That is the thing. Is he did kill a bunch of people before? Yeah, 
Yeah, he and killed they let a him write bunch a book about how how good a job he did at that. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I think the fact that they all had to sort of let that slide with Joe Biden makes it harder for them to be like, okay, now, now we're going to take it seriously again. Especially since the majority, I think, of Democrats nationally and probably even in the state, either still like him because of t- TV reasons or don't care enough either way, which means that he can just hang around like a fucking barnacle. Yeah, that's they're still quomosexual. Yeah, well, maybe this the, the, the best thing we could hope for is, is this means is he will not be fucking president someday, which is the thing that always terrifies me about Cuomo. Yeah, he, he just does seem like he is the embodiment of just the most uh, the punitive psycho democratic reply, response to Trump, where where yeah. you embrace the, the the punitive part of it instead of pretending like uh, Joe does that everybody's in a cuddle puddle or whatever. Yeah, his his sense of too like authoritarianism like so far outweighs anyone else in his category of like uh of contenders. Like he he wants a mech suit. He demands one. Yeah, well he's the heir to Bloomberg in that way. Yeah. In that like yeah, he would be the democratic president where the entire nation is California and just like random things you like that you know aren't good good for you are taken away from you every day. And we get no closer to government ownership of any health care or anything. I, I have a theory uh, about this, that, by the way. Yeah. I, I think that um, the, the giant cities which go in and out of, uh, you know, good times and bad times, like uh, the, the thing about New York is that like people are like, oh, New York used to be bad. But before that, it was good. It's like New York has always been on the verge of collapse and then on the verge of coming back. I think it's the same thing with, like, Los Angeles. I think it's the same thing with Chicago. And I think those three cities in particular attract really authoritative politicians because people have these, like, really, um, well, traumatic memories of of the city falling into decline. So they're like, look, we need a strong man. We need a strong leader. So I think there's this pattern with those three cities in particular of, like, really wanting these authoritarian strongmen to rule over us with an iron fist, lest, uh, you know, lest the natives get restless or something. There might be something to that. I mean, Chicago in recent memory, I mean, it has a history of tyrants, but in recent memory, uh, they've mostly just been like hands off go betweens between like, you know, the finance, the finance industry and, uh, like contractors, their, their problem is how hands off they are. But I mean, before that, Daily was certainly in the tyrant mold. The elder Daily, the younger Daily, was more in that modern mold. But um, I think Rom, I think Rom had a little bit of the 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 strong man vibe to him. Like he tried to sort of throw his weight around. Yeah, well, in the way that Cuomo does. But I think what's interesting is before, like getting back to Cuomo before this thing. He was already on sort of a slide because of the Ron Kim thing, because he tried to do that, the thing that he does to everyone, where he just tries to dominate them and terrify them. And Ron Kim was just like, no, fuck you. And it like kind of took a chunk out of him and showed, I mean, similar to Bloomberg, a hollow core of support. Like, I think there are a lot of people who are really into the Cuomo thing still. There are a lot of freaks in America, but... I don't think enough for him to go beyond New York's governorship. I think for now that's done. I mean, if Joe Biden can be president, I think like any, we can't discount like just any piece of shit now or any moron. 
But for now, I think we're safe from Cuomo. Yeah, I think this has at least put him on the shelf for the next uh, couple races, or at least the next race. They'll put Um, him in a cryogenic chamber. What a piece of shit. Well, he doesn't have, like... I think Joe's success in that, though, is... It's totally different than what you could do with Cuomo, because Joe, he was just, like, tofu. He was just uh, sort of flavorless, odorless enough that you could stick anything onto him. Whereas with Cuomo, there's, like, personality-wise... And even in some other ways, he isn't totally interchangeable with generic Democrat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he definitely has a flavor. It's just yeah. disgusting. Yeah. Hey, but the ch- but the girls ate all their spaghetti and meatballs. That's what matters. Never forget. Yeah. That's, man, I kind of hope I, Jennifer Rubin still replies to I, Those are my favorite replies. Uh, yeah, we should check still in on Jen. She probably sees the world as cartoons, right? Yes. Like her perception of reality. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like she sees uh she sees Cuomo and he's just like a, a a friendly cow playing a ukulele in a 30s cartoon. Yeah. I had a uh I had a psychic break recently where I was obsessed with the idea of the California Raisins playing at Joe Biden's inauguration. Oh. And like Biden sort of like sucking on one of their heads. <laughs> Licking some sugar off. Uh, But I was thinking Jennifer Rubin was probably watching the inauguration and, like, her mind superimposed Joe playing with them. Oh, okay. Well, Felix, (laughs) you say that, but her uh, name on on her Twitter is now Jennifer Pro Reality Rubin. So, me Uh, think that Doc protested too much. Why would you want to be pro reality? (laughs) Sucks ass. Reality sucks ass. Anybody who bad. wants anyone who's pro reality is a sicko. Her reality is awesome. She gets to see Joe Biden, like you know, uh, do a ceremony for the five hundred thousand people who died, and like stumble through a few words and be like, "This is great. I love this. This is leadership. Yeah, this is the man. It's an inspiration. That is that has been the cool thing about the Biden presidency for me is like. How much of his, the only thing he's done has just been like, hey, man, lost a lot of people. Let's not make them. I'm sorry. (laughs) People are like, yeah, this is exactly what I voted for. It is like, you know, we talk about subtext being dead. Mm -hmm. Just like this guy doing nothing but giving funerals for the country. Yep. Sorry. Sorry, folks. There's a guy. There's a guy. There's there's lady there in Congress. He's a parliament, parliament somebody. She's she's she lives in a cave. <laughs> I, I couldn't I couldn't answer her riddles three. So <laughs> so it's no minimum wage for you guys. I love that the the thing with the the parliamentarian for me is the most perfect example of the democratic sort of scam that they run on people to make them think that they actually want what their voters claim to want, uh, and also. The fact that, yes, history does just go in circles and and time is flat and there is no escaping these cycles because, uh, first of all, you got the fact that for the first time ever, uh, they pull out a fully new excuse, a fully new norm that that prevented them from doing something that people overwhelmingly wanted them to do. A norm that nobody knew about, a norm that could have been violated with minimal concern, blowback even awareness, but became it's like sacrosanct because you can't do that. And it really, it's because if people knew that you could just stop 
these things from like existing, if you actually had like a unified party on one side of an issue, then they would have to reveal their actual uh, agenda, which has nothing to do with raising social with raising minimum wage and everything to do with waiting until nobody's looking and then doing a grand bargain to reform entitlements. And the thing that allows them to do that is things like the parliamentarian who we, we can't mess with them. I'm sorry. It's what it is, is it's that first scene from I think you should leave where he's pulling the wrong way on the door. Only they're not even trying. They're just like, oh, I can't open. I'm sorry. This door won't open. Ah, but the crazy thing, the thing that just shocked me as soon as this happened is the instinctive return of 2009 Democrat apologia saying, no, no, you don't understand this. You idiot. Don't you understand that we need yeah, to do the Green Lantern? Yes, presidency. You, you fools. You, we need to do X, Y and Z. Don't you get it? And the I mean, once again, horror at the fact that, oh, no, we're trapped back in the same room. We never left. But also, I'd think that this should be like a real moment to to transcend this stuff if you can, because this is not an argument you have to have because it already happened. The argument was already had and the outcome already happened. There's no counterexample of it working. Like, it's literally what happened just before Trump. Yep, yep. And the thing is, it's like, dude, you can go to explain to everybody using your big words, using your smugness about how they're too stupid to understand the real world and how they need to be more realistic. And what happens? No one is paying attention. The people who you need to get on with this are not plugged into these idiotic game, uh, house of cards shenanigans like you are. They're not rigged into this spectacle the way you are. So that means all they're going to do is for the probably just not show up to vote. We know that's what they do. It happened already. It happened. You don't, nothing you say can change that dynamic. If the party is the party it is, then it will continue to do what it wants to do. And that is eat shit if, instead of revealing the truth about its agenda to uh, its ostensible voters. You don't, ha- you don't have to argue. You don't have to argue with the people. This already happened. This is a rerun. This is like when you're watching uh, the Saturday morning cartoons and you, you start recognizing the shit and then you turn it off because it's already happened. I had a good, because I was uh, not keeping abreast of the news at all and then I had to look this stuff up, but I had a good interaction or uh, rather observation. I did not interact. I was like David Attenborough. I did not interfere at a very rural gas station, and there was a guy pumping his gas, and he was on his phone, and he was talking about, I think, I think checks, like checks coming in, and then he was getting increasingly irritated, and at some point he goes, what the fuck is the charlamentarian? <laughs> and I'm like, sir, <laughs> you are not wrong. That is the correct response. Mm, yeah, what the fuck is a charlamentarian? Right. That is the completely right response to any of this. Like, yeah, no, I've never, this is a new one there, but I mean, like, I know it's a position, but we can't do it because the charlamentarian said so is that's a new, they haven't tried that one in my lifetime. No, it's literally, I was like, wait a minute. And I was like, I was like going back to like eighth grade social studies. And I'm like, yeah, I guess I know what that is, but also like a little, Mostly because it doesn't matter and who cares. And it's kind of like, you know, the queen owning the swans here. It's a nice little tradition that we keep around, like a knickknack or something. But why in the fuck? Why the fuck would the charlamentarian be in charge of anything? (laughs) And the thing is, you don't have to know. 
Somebody is, somebody will tell you, somebody will painstakingly explain to you exactly why this matters, but it doesn't change anything. It sure as shit doesn't change the, the uh, calculus of people who are going to have to go and vote uh, in, in the midterms and in 2024. It, they're not part of this psychodrama that you've, you've created. And so Matt all does. you could do is soothe yourself by tales of the parliamentarian and their and their powerful role, their their wizard like role, the, the 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 psychic energy that they expend that keeps the fucking uh, building of the Capitol intact and does not collapsing around everyone's ears. By the way, though, Matt, I have like in my just cursory readings of this, I didn't even find any painstaking descriptions. What I found were delighted description so like oh well actually like they have been dying to write an explainer about the charlamentarian oh absolutely they are so fucking delighted they're like they're like uh sports weirdos who um are really interested in rule changes that uh made flopping easier or behind the back passing or whatever like the it's it's literally like nerds rules or rules nerds like love nerds rules so like they're so delighted by the charlamentarian suddenly gets his speaking role and you can tell people about it you can you can painstakingly correct your your nephew on facebook and it will accomplish it will accomplish nothing but neither yeah. will yelling at them either about with it. a mouth that wouldn't melt butter just well i i understand it's difficult but it actually makes a lot of sense you see and it's like shut the fuck up it's uh, it's a busy box. It's just a thing for people to 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 pretend that they're work helping along at home, like when the, the like a decoder ring ad from the fucking uh, Red Rider BB gun. It's cool living in the movie Brazil, though. That's really fun. Just a lot of like faceless bureaucracy that even if you learn it, doesn't make any more sense. Yeah, but it, the, like I said, the, the the beauty of it is is that you can kind of you don't have to pay attention to any of these shenanigans. Something's going to happen. Some horrible bill will pass uh, or it won't. Who knows? But you're, we're all still going to be here. And uh, and uh, your command of the the specifics of it is not going to make anybody's nope. life make more sense. Uh, any but any of the pain in your life feel m- less random and horrible. Yeah, well, knowing knowing the rules uh, doesn't really matter when they're just going to cheat. Yeah, they just make them up. That's yeah. the only real rule is that they it's, just make the shit up. It's fucking Calvin Ball. You think you scored a point, but actually because you did a thing, uh, the points go to Calvin. Yeah. Well, the good news is that the president cannot uh, defeat the, the wizard parliamentarian uh, in the battle in the train tunnels beneath the Capitol with their wizard staffs. But they can just blow up Syria whenever they want to. There's no there's no foreign policy parliamentarian to say, actually, no, you're not allowed to keep bombing this country that we have no uh declared hostility to because of a fucking 20 year old uh military authorization for an attack that had nothing to do with anyone there did you see today though that um it's they're now claiming that there was a second uh airstrike that biden had approved in syria but that he uh canceled it after they thought that there might be a woman and child there not women and children, uh, specifically a woman and child. Yeah, whoever leaked that, like, it was probably like a joke. It was like, see if they'll print this. <laughs> see if anyone believes this. And lo and behold, they got it in somewhere. That guy probably gets free lunch for a week. Absolutely. All the adrenochrome you can eat. Yeah. No, that's fucking incredible. 
They're they're really pulling out all the stops. I mean, uh, what did John Brennan say the other day? Oh yeah, I'm ashamed to be a white male. <laughs> oh my god. She, yeah. Well, I must say, to Claire's point, I'm increasingly embarrassed to be a white male these days. I mean, what a <laughs> light of what I see of my other white males saying. A guy who's killed like thousands of people. Oh yeah. Yeah, that's Total your psychic. problem. Just fucking incinerated. <laughs> Just fucking like burned like Pakistani children alive for being near the cell phone signature of the wrong guy. And he's just like, I'm ashamed of my gender. I mean, it, this is exactly though, like what this stuff exists for is to be like, is so that people are like, Oh no, you can't help that. And ignore the fact that there are all the thing, horrible things he did do. It's like a it's like a bait and switch. And I think that's exactly why all of these sort of like, you know, self-flagellation gestures exist. So that to distract people from the actual awful things they did. And it's like, that's the thing that you're ashamed of. I mean, I it's, it's they- the same thing with the Cuomo stuff. It's like, yeah, ew, but Jesus Christ, he's done some worse things. There has to be some sort of a pantomime of humanity there. Like there has to be something you're ashamed of or else then you're like Trump who just says, I've never, never made a wrong decision or done anything bad in my life. And that just, uh, it, it's, it chokes in the throat. If you, for people who pride themselves on, uh, being, you know, uh, acculturated and, and, and to have, uh, absorbed, you know, manners more than anything. Like it's impolite yeah. to be that, uh, to that be to be that brazen about your horror that you're. Well, you doing you in see life. that with the rest of the quote too, which uh, he says, "I'm increasingly embarrassed to be a white male these days." With what I see other white males say, with very few exceptions, like Mitt Romney, Liz Cheney, Adam Kissinger, there are so few Republicans in Congress who value truth, honesty, and integrity. Like the second half of that quote is honestly. Just as good as the first. I, I, I'm ashamed of all white men except for Liz Cheney. Is that what he said? Just... I, I, I honestly, I honestly feel like they're having a meeting at the Eagle's Nest, <laughs> like the repurposed Nazi base in Antarctica, and they were like, "Listen, everyone's making fun of Andrew Cuomo for saying that all these women were hotter than Lisa." <laughs> um, John, you have to do something. You have to do something more embarrassing to take the heat off. And I think this is like, this is like red meat. This is like, when I saw this, I was like, this is like a daily caller paraphrase or something, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like, this is so, like, this is just so perfectly, like, annoying, like, shitty liberal. Like, why is this guy even on MSNBC? This guy should be in fucking prison. But no, it happened. And I think that's why. Yeah, I think this is his, uh, like, Billy Madison pouring water on his crotch. He's like, I pee my pants, too. Yeah. Can I play you guys something that is a bit of a, um, like, a compliment to that Brennan quote that just made me smile? That made me smile this week? Okay, let me just share this real quick. The Democrats don't have grandstanders like Mitt Romney, Little Ben Sass, Richard Burr, (laughs) Bill Cassidy, Susan Collins, Lisa Murkowski, Pat Toomey. And in the House, Tom Rice, South Carolina, Adam Kinzinger, <laughs> Dan Newhouse, Anthony Gonzalez, that's another beauty, Fred Upton, Jamie Herrera-Butler, Peter Meyer, John Katko, 
David Valadeo, and of course, the warmonger, a person that loves seeing our troops fighting, Liz Cheney. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> seeing our troops fighting. I love oh. seeing our troops fighting. I, I miss him. I miss him. So, I was yeah. getting a kick out of him naming names. I could have heard, listened to him list the entire GOP caucus. I wish he was on Cameo. I want him <laughs> to say the names of Illinois towns. Yeah. Bannockburn. <laughs> Moline. <laughs> and of course, our beloved Skookie. <laughs> yeah, he. Oh, man. I really wish they brought out Joe more because I do believe Joe has the potential to be funny. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Joe's hilarious, just, but they just say have him on a leash that they didn't have Trump on. Yeah, they know he's too funny. Yeah, they, the nation couldn't he's handle it. Yeah. I mean, that's what that, that's like the thing there. They can never show him because like the thing about Biden is supposed to be like dignity and the respect of the office. But every time he talks, he's like. One of the horn, like one of the guys from Looney Tunes, who's in a full body cast and gets horny for a bunny nurse, <laughs> and also like shitting himself, like dead. Like that picture, his granddaughter posted where they're like, "We got da- uh, granddad this president de- President's Day swag because he's the president, and he just looks so fucking lost. He looks like that viral post of the guy's grandfather with dementia who ate the blue paint." <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, people I was making burgers and nobody from Congress showed up. Yeah. I hope the people around me when I am old, like, love me enough to just take me out of commission. Like, they don't have to shoot me. Just make me, like, free range. You know? Like, the th- okay, we have the most fucked up attitude towards old people in this country. And there's no reason why we shouldn't be able to love them. Like, they're misused. Like, I think about it all of the time. So in our world, they are senile overlords, and we hold contempt for them for destroying everything with their, like, wistfulness. But in a civilized world, all that wist would be held in veneration, but, like, we wouldn't let them drive. They earned a pleasant, quiet end of their lives. Instead, we're like, you need to drive the world when they shouldn't even be allowed to drive the car. And then we get mad at them when they crash the world. And it's like, well, obviously, they should not be allowed. They should be, uh, they should be made harmless and amusing and allowed to live out their, the remainder of their lives in, in pleasant whist. And every once in a while, they would say something uh, sort of, it, maybe it's wise or maybe it's just weird, but we benefit from them in that capacity. We don't benefit from them doing anything. You know, somebody from the administration is going to hear this and they're just going to end up uh, having Joe give a bunch of money to uh, the CDC or something to develop a gigantic clone of the Big Bopper. (laughs) Just somebody like, hey, there he is, folks. Don't we love him? And he comes out and he sings Chantilly Lace. Three times but he's 40 feet just, high and he just, starts just eating children. Yeah. Then he just goes, sits in the corner. <laughs> I've got a, uh, a Biden clip, too, from today. If we want to. Yeah, a little let's bit. do that. Let's uh, get it. Yeah. Let's get some Biden. All right. Uh, this is Biden got a little heat from this one for not what this thing was actually about. But I want to share two parts of this, which is what this video was supposed to be about, which I think goes to the last thing you were talking, which is Joe Biden talking about cancer. And all I want to point out about this is, God, he sounds so dead. Deal with cancer and cancer research. And uh, the vice president and I are of the view that uh, we can make significant strides uh, 
in fighting cancer and Alzheimer's and other diseases uh, if we uh, take a slightly different approach. And uh, what I want to talk to them about today is uh, how Okay, sure. Cancer, whatever. He, the, he goes on for a while, but here's the thing that he got, got heat for. Able to move that all the way up to the end of May to have enough for every American to get every adult American to get a shot. And the last thing, the last thing we need is the Neanderthal thinking that in the meantime, everything's fine. Take off your mask. Forget it. It still That's matters. That's it. Wow. I carry a card. But I don't know. It's yeah, now, uh, now, now they're doing yeah, like, so now Demo- this is my favorite thing and the most tedious thing on earth. This is essentially a chance for Republican congressmen and senators to all get to do like uh, Reddit bits because like Marco Rubio is saying, uh, actually, Neanderthals are uh, a protected group, and you're racist. And just you know, classic. Aha! See, you guys now you're the ones doing racism, and that's just just like the worst. That's the worst thing on earth. Just giving those guys like their five minute open mic moments to try to do epic riffs. Mm-hmm. Huge boon for uh, like yeah, the like bit, sort of wedding crashers conservatives. I do like the idea that uh, that we're not going to get Medicare for all, and of course not, which. You know, might involve uh, people having the ability to, I don't know, get medical care uh, in a timely enough fashion that they could maybe head off a a potentially deadly uh, cancer uh, or people with cancer have access to treatment. No, we're not going to get that. Joe is just going to come out every six weeks when they wheel him out on a dolly uh, like Hannibal Lecter and say, well, there's going to be a no cancer pill by 2024. <laughs> that we're, we got a we got a gotcha guys in a room and they got a, got a big old vat. We're going to get no cancer. Gonna, you're going to be able to just go over. It'll cost five million dollars, though. Just so you know, you better start saving for that. Also, not to be the person who, like, even before the Theranos stuff blew up, I was like, oh, that's impossible. But like, there's no such thing as like a cancer cure. Every cancer operates like completely different, like ovarian cancer doesn't like can be caused by a virus. There are cancers that are caused by radiation. There's like, I don't know, however many 40 recognized carcinogens. And then sometimes your body's just a fucking time bomb. The idea that we can just cancer isn't just like a, a thing that you can stop. It's like a name for the many, 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 many ways in which your body can just go, fuck it, we're going AWOL, we're making more of these cells, and it's like a completely different treatment, completely different preventative measures for everything. But I think people hear like the phrase cure for cancer, and they're like, yeah, yeah, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. And it's like, no, it's like, it's not coming. Like, the people who work on lung cancer don't work on brain cancer, and those people don't work on ovarian cancer, and those people don't work on lymphoma. Like it's I, it's well, we, well, it's the only thing we have though, because there is no political possibility anymore. They, they, yeah. they can't even keep up a the 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 the, 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 por- the parliament funkadelian. He's going to stop us. <laughs> they can't even pretend that there is a political solution to anything. Yeah. So there has there to be has a scientific be, technocratic there has solution. To be a, a technological uh, a Deus Ex Machina that can just uh, 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 part the waters. And honestly, if that's the case, why are you guys even still around? Why do you keep, insist on talking to us? If if your only even imagined solution for us f- for the like the encroaching horrors of the world around us is we're, there's going to be a pill you take. Don't worry. 
I mean, isn't that going to happen no matter which one of you assholes is in charge? Why the hell do we need fucking Joe Biden mumbling? Is he in the fucking lab? Is he in the lab looking at the pipettes and figuring out uh, what to do with the next fucking uh, anti-cancer pill uh, trial? He doesn't fucking know. Yeah, he put a he put a root beer float and a milkshake in a centrifuge. <laughs> create a new cure. Uh, the stuff stevia. I'll tell you right now, Jack. Stevia and root beer. I'm imagining I'm imagining Felix's favorite image of a but with Joe Biden instead of the scientist in like the goggles and the white lab coat and just knocking over a bunch of test tubes with his boner. Yeah, no, he could finally do that. He could do the greatest comedy bit of all time we're gonna make it happen we're gonna see it in our lifetimes i promise you that felix yeah i'll deal yeah deal i'll take a deal no more news from uh congress no more news about legislation it's no more charlamentarian it's a black box they just say the thing that was uh they just tell you what happened did the thing pass or not what's in it that's it no no negotiations no uh seventh electional chess Instead, what politics is, is a camera following Joe Biden around as he gets into Mr. Magoo-like antics in our nation's secure medical research facilities. Yeah, no, make it a make it a sort of ceremonial monarchy where it's like there's just a pure maintenance state and executives from, you know, Pfizer, United Health, uh, J.P. Morgan. They're all like just administrators in the country. We have kind of like a Zaibatsu system and it's just like a maintenance state so we don't collapse and like send the world into a depression. But nothing happens. But, you know, every once in a while there will be like I'm thinking about those like Chinese state new- news services where all the news is like this nice panda rolled down a hill. <laughs> like I follow all those because there is like so much news like that. And like the government will just like release videos like that and like. Yeah, do conservation of different things, but yeah, mostly just we're, we're on life support. But we do get to see Joe, like you know, meet a Puerto Rican nurse. <laughs> what does he say to her? Oh boy, interesting. Oh boy. Yeah. Oh no. This oh big, no. It's a big test for Joe. I mean, that is the the that's the the motivator of so much of the of the wasted political psychic energy in this country is that we essentially do have a situation where our our presidents who have the dual role of head of state and head of government are now basically just figureheads. Trump was basically a figurehead, just like uh, Biden is. Uh, Mitch McConnell still basically the prime minister of the United States. And but we don't get them to just be like wacky uh, uh, hood ornaments the way that European monarchs are, because we have to insist that there is a uh, like a vitality to this political system. That does it. And if we could just get over that and then enjoy these people on their own uh, on their own terms, instead of trying to, like, decide from their nonsensical mutterings like which. Oh, that's actually a secret code for me to drive my fucking uh, Toyota Tacoma into uh, the fucking Mrs. Fields at uh, the mall. Yeah, you could just just have fun with it. Just just have some wacky fun with our wacky friends in power. Honestly, following politics at this point in any sort of like serious way in any like following the kind of like managerial machinations was kind of the only thing they do is sort of like manage crises and then poorly. It's like trying to like it's like trying to divine auguries from episodes of Mr. Bean. It's like (laughs) the only thing you 
the only appropriate response, I think, at this point is to be like, look at them go. Like, this is comical. And things getting worse. Uh, I mean, if, if, if I thought we could have some influence by following these particular, like, like uh, granular details of, like, the managerial process of politics, I would say, like, get more involved in that. I think there are periods where it does, you know, you can exercise some influence. But at this particular moment, it's like, you're just, you're just breaking your brain. Like you're yeah. just breaking your brain. Yeah, I yeah. So many people like get caught in this trap where it just has to be like, though the the left position on you know whatever idiotic thing like the parliamentarian or whatever or like Russia Gate or whatever, and it's like it doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't matter. It's already it's already going on its own course. You can't do anything. Yeah, it's a it's a it's an imagined uh, agency. And all that mm-hmm. really does, I mean, it gives you a sense of, it gives you a sense of control over life that feels like it's sort of out of your control and that is scary for that re- reason. But what you're giving up, even if you don't realize it, is any kind of sense of peace because you have to keep paying attention. If you have invested, like, if, if, if you have really put uh, your sense of control of your life uh, invested in a uh, political engagement with electoral politics at the presidential and like congressional level, then you can never have peace, which mm. is a thing I think we've all learned uh, well, over the course of doing this show. <laughs> not just that either. It's that it's the being realistic and being truly honest with yourself about how much power we, we being the broad population of, of masses that don't hold power, what kind of influence we have over them is like nothing like it doesn't mean that we will never have power it doesn't mean that there aren't ways for us to get power it doesn't even mean there won't be a moment at some point in which we might influence them but if you don't know the difference then you don't actually take the time to figure out like okay well what would us having power and being able to exercise it look like because playing this pretend game like gets in the way of like actual potential planning and as much of a moonshot as that might be it's like you can't like larp uh influence and then expect to actually develop any kind of like political utility like uh of popular will whatsoever because you're just wasting your time like like following the granular details of this stuff it's like well you're there's there might be a way out of this it's but it's not that so stop looking at that we have to start thinking about other things. Uh, if you're going to look at that, it, you know, look at it like the TV. It's your programs. Yeah, no, exactly. Like the only <clears throat> interesting thing to me now about any of this is just, you know, what did the Democrats do to each other? How does how does this part of it play out? There's nothing I can do to change any of this. Yeah. I mean, like, whatever. I'm I, doing what little things I can. And I like, you know, I'm still behind like labor campaign for single payer and stuff like that but mostly like we are not just watching the show we are like watching it from behind glass in the cheap cheap seats like i don't really know i like just don't go insane just don't stare at this stuff for too long (laughs) like you have to stay sane and and it's going to be necessary like if we ever actually hope to have any kind of political power or make change 
it's going to be necessary for you to understand like what we're capable of doing and what we're not capable of doing and what's a short-term project and what's a long-term project and accepting that these people do not give a shit what we think that's that's like got to be the first step yeah and i really felt like for me anyway i just felt like the need to reiterate that which is the thing we've been saying for a while just because as soon as they started talking about the motherfucking senate parliamentarian <laughs> i just felt like the yeah. the bottom fall out and i just like i'm in 2010 again only i have to like Good. pretend that i don't know what happens after that pretend yeah. that i didn't see the whole thing happen yeah no way uh-uh none of that i refuse for us. Well, good vibes won't only get fooled here. again, friend. But that's that's the good news is that you since you know how this ends, you know, that's the thing about Cassandra is that obviously she was cursed. But at the same time, you know, she knew when not to she didn't have to be too excited and too worried about something because it wasn't the day yet. You know, yeah, not worth my time, not worth my energy, certainly not worth my sanity. There's stuff that is there's stuff that I'd willing to break my brain on, but it's not going to be this shit for Christ's yeah. sake. Yeah, nothing but but unbroken strong brains here. Very proud of us. We're very very muscular brains here. Yeah, the strongest of brains. Uh, all right. Uh, let's transition now. You may have noticed that Will has not been present for the first part of this. This is because he recorded another part that is going to be the half second part of this episode. It is a follow up interview with attorney Stephen Donziger, who we did a bonus episode on. Uh, gosh, maybe a year ago. Episode four hundred and eighteen, the Cool Zone. Uh, his story is quite interesting, involving uh mass corporate malfeasance of Chevron in Ecuador and his attempt to uh, sue Ecuador or sue Chevron on behalf of uh, the Ecuadorian people and hit the legal retaliation that <laughs> Chevron was able to impart on him, leading to his house arrest for over 500 days. Uh, it's got all sorts of stuff here. Um, pr- private prosecutors, which I didn't even know was a thing uh, until I heard this story. Lots of good, interesting things here. I will link the first part, our first interview with Steven, in the show notes here so you can catch up on the whole story. Uh, but without uh, anything more, uh, let's let the sweet sounds of Parliament take us in to Will's interview with Stephen Dawson. Hey, everybody. Um, you may remember a while back I did a, uh, a bonus interview with the lawyer uh, Stephen Donzinger about the circumstances that led to his uh, quite lengthy house arrest um, and his ongoing, I don't know, how do you say, persecution by a uh, law firm prosecuting him uh, and their relationship with the uh, very people that he won a lawsuit against. So, his trial's coming up, and uh, we decided that to, we should check in again with Stephen Donzinger. So I'm joined again, once again, by the lawyer Stephen Donzinger. Stephen, how's it going? Good. Thanks for having me, Will. It's good to be here. All right. So maybe for the people who haven't listened to the first episode or are un- unaware of this story, um, could you give, could you give our, our listeners just like a brief background regarding your case and the rather extraordinary way in which you've been confined to your home for like well over a year and a half now? Sure. So, you know, it's a, it's a 27 year story, but I'm going to sort of reduce it to about a minute. Um, I'm a lawyer, live in New York. Um, 
right when I got out of law school in the early 90s, I went down to ECRO with a group of lawyers and investigators to, to look at the what really was called the world's worst oil-related catastrophe. And it involves Chevron and its predecessor company, Texaco, over a period of 25 or so years in the Ecuador and Amazon, they deliberately dumped billions of gallons of cancer-causing oil waste onto indigenous ancestral lands in about a 1,500-square-mile area, wrecked the region, completely poisoned the the water, the, the fresh water sources, the rivers, the streams, the groundwater. And over time, hundreds, thousands, of, and even thousands of people have died of cancer or been stricken with oil-related diseases. Indigenous cultures have been decimated, and it's really the world's worst oil-related catastrophe. It was done as a matter of planning and engineering. It wasn't an accident. It, you know, Chevron decided to just dump the stuff rather than pay for a proper disposal. I got involved and sued Chevron, Texaco, then Chevron in New York in the early 90s. They insisted the trial be held in Ecuador. It was moved to Ecuador in the early 2000s. Chevron accepted jurisdiction there. The trial took eight years. We won. Uh, there were massive, voluminous scientific evidence proving their guilt, their culpability, 64,000 sampling results, 100 expert reports. Um, as we were about to win, they sued me in New York as retaliation, claiming that I had bribed a judge in Ecuador. And their evidence, I did not bribe a judge in Ecuador, just to be very clear about that. Their evidence, so-called evidence, was they paid a witness $2 million to come up from Ecuador. They coached him for 53 days. He then went into this courtroom in New York in the same court where we originally wanted the trial to be held. Um, And he testified that he was in a meeting with me in Ecuador where I approved this so-called bribe. And it never happened. There's no corroborating evidence. The witness ended up admitting that he had lied and recanting his testimony in a later proceeding. But on the basis of that, with no jury, uh, Judge Lewis Kaplan, who's a federal judge in New York, found that I had uh, obtained the Ecuadorian judgment via fraud. In the meantime, 29 other appellate judges in Ecuador and Canada have validated the judgment and completely rejected Kaplan's findings. Um, This is really a battle between corporate power and indigenous rights being expressed through the means of the judicial system right now. And because we had so much success, in holding Chevron accountable. Chevron went back to Judge Kaplan, claimed I owed them money for their court costs. They demanded to see my computer and cell phone to figure out where my accounts were. And that had all the confidential information on the case. When I appealed that request, Judge Kaplan charged me with criminal contempt of court and had me locked up. This was on August 6, 2019. It's about 575 days ago. My criminal contempt charge is a misdemeanor. The longest sentence ever given a lawyer who's been convicted of this is 90 days of home confinement. I've been in home confinement now. now This is an extraordinary part of this. I mean, you said like the longest penalty ever given to a lawyer who's been convicted of misdemeanor contempt is 90 days. You have not been convicted of, of, of misdemeanor contempt and you have been confined in your house under house arrest for well over 500 days now. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I've been confined six times longer. I'm confined without trial six times longer than the longest sentence ever imposed on a lawyer who's been convicted of these charges. So, you know, in my view, this is punishment. I mean, and, and to understand what's happening, when you're charged with criminal contempt, you're charged by the judge, not by the regular prosecutor. 
but the judge is obligated to go to the prosecutor to do the case, to prosecute it. In this case, the prosecutor refused to prosecute me, refused the charges. So Judge Kaplan, who charged me, appointed a private law firm to prosecute me in the name of the government while hiding the fact the law firm had Chevron as a client, Chevron being the company that I had won this big judgment against. So essentially, I'm the first example of ever in U.S. history where the government, in this case, Judge Kaplan, has given big oil the power to prosecute its, its critics. And that's what's happening to me. It's a conflicted case. And it, it really, in my view, needs to be thrown out. And the fact that I'm the only lawyer in history on a misdemeanor ever held for even a day pretrial makes it all the more shocking. I mean, yeah, this, this is what, uh, you know, this is how I found out about your case. And this is what led me to be so interested in it is, I mean, like the, 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 the terrifying idea of, of a lawyer or any private citizen being prosecuted by a private law firm on behalf of the state and not just any private law firm, a law firm mm-hmm. that has directly an invested interest in, in a client that you won a, a, a fair, fairly adjudicated legal settlement against. It's just like it, 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 it is very clear what's happening here, which is that like a Chevron and a private corporation is using the state and our legal system to not just punish you personally, but to send a message to anyone who would dare win a lawsuit against them. That's exactly right. And fundamentally, this is about an attack on the people of Ecuador who won the judgment, and they're doing it through me. And it also, as you point out, is about sending a larger symbolic message of intimidation um, to all human rights activists, all human rights lawyers, and people who want to hold these big fossil fuel companies accountable for their environmental destruction. And that's what this case is about. And like it's being expressed through these very personal attacks on me. Um, I have a wife and a 14-year-old son, and we're hurting. I mean, we're, we're in, you know, we live in New York City in a relatively small apartment. And we've been here now for almost two years trying to figure this out. I can't get a trial because of COVID and other reasons. Um, there's no, really no trials happening in New York. And they won't let me out. You know, and Chevron loves this. I mean, I haven't been convicted of a crime. I, ha- I don't have a passport. I have an ankle bracelet. And it's been 18, 19 months now, unable to travel, unable to walk out of my apartment. That suits them fine, right? Because they don't want me working on the case and holding them accountable. I mean, like, you know, as more and more people are aware of this, I mean, when people find out about your your case, I mean, like there are you have attracted the attention and support of a lot of the really, you know, luminous figures in the legal community, like of lawyers, judges, people in, in, in international law who have, you know, signed um, uh, petitions and, and statements attesting to the truly extraordinary uh, miscarriage of justice that you're being subjected to here. I mean, like, it's just like, as this goes on, I mean, like, how how do, like, Judge Kaplan and the people prosecuting you continue to justify this or, or account? I mean, or, or is it just simply that they don't have to because nobody, uh, not enough people notice it or they're not being subjected to, like, the pressure from any any quarter outside, like, certain parts of the legal community, no matter how sort of august and um, uh, impressive the names are? Well, it's a great question. You know, it just befuddles me that, that they can get away with it. Um, there is a lot, there are a lot of people who've spoken out you know, great lawyers, Marty Garbus, Rick Friedman, um, you know, some of the great human rights lawyers in our country. Um, Amnesty International has written letters and, uh, you know, a lot of environmental groups. These two judges who are after me are conflicted. I mean, one is a former tobacco lawyer. The other is a member of the Federalist Society to which Chevron is a major donor. They're, they're working together. 
That was the judge who charged me, appointed the judge who's presiding. She locked me up, Judge Preska. Um, the prosecutor comes from a Chevron law firm. They're all, they all have financial ties to Chevron. I mean, Chevron is in effect prosecuting me. And I think for a lot of people, you know, it's hard. There's no framework to even understand this in the United States of America. Like you just talk and they're like, well, what? And we need more people to speak out. I mean, you know, these judges have lifetime appointments. There's virtually no accountability. Um, no one has tried to stop them. You know, the appellate judges have not tried to stop them. They're like, oh, just let the trial happen. And if you lose, you can appeal it. I mean, that's like another two years while I'm in the house arrest. So it's a serious situation. Well, I will tell you, you know, I think this is a, a egregious human rights violation on American soil in the middle of Manhattan, where I live. Uh, I'm a mile from the New York Times. They have not covered this. I have gotten coverage from independent media like you guys and, you know, The Intercept and The Nation and others. Chris Hedges wrote a great story, but, you know, the main, you know, the large media outlets have completely ignored the story. Chevron's advertising dollars are all over the place. And I think, you know, it's, it's a real game for Chevron to try to contain the story such that most people don't find out about it. And the judges then have a free path to try to get away with it. But, you know, we're fighting as hard as we can. You know, if I was in Turkey or Saudi Arabia or Russia, I think there'd be a lot of members of the U.S. Congress speaking out and condemning my Absolutely. treatment. Just like, they're, you know, they're condemning the, uh, uh, the gentleman who, Navalny. who just jailed Navalny. I mean, appropriately, you know, that, that's not how you treat people. Um, but, you know, look at my situation. It's happening right here and they don't speak out. I think another element here is it like, if this was happening to you because you were a, a dissident against the U.S. state directly, I think it would like that's easier for them to talk about, like in terms of the mainstream media, uh, you know, discussing the you know the the government like directly violating or, or, or oppressing political speech or just like you know punishing someone for winning a lawsuit essentially. But the fact that like it's not just the government doing it to you; it is the it is a private corporation, like you said, it is Chevron prosecuting you with the authority of the U.S. state behind them. It, it, like I said, like it, it opens up all kinds of questions about like, you know, the nature of our government and the media as it relates to these giant multinational corporations that I think is very, it's not so much that it's difficult for them to talk about it, but like they don't know what to make of it or they don't want to follow up on the implications of what this really, what this really means. I think you're right. And I, I will say, I mean, you know, those of us who follow comings and goings in America see the increasing corporate power that's permeating various aspects of our society over the last 20, 30 years. I can tell you in this case, it's a new frontier. Like this has never happened. This is a new step forward for the consolidation of fossil fuel and corporate power in America. Like to be able to have, for Chevron to have its private law firm prosecute the guy, the lawyer who won the biggest judgment ever against Chevron and lock him up in his home when no lawyer's ever been locked up in his home before for this supposed charge, which I dispute completely, that really ought to scare everybody because it really is a playbook that the industry, the fossil fuel industry, is going to keep trying to use as long as they can get away with it. And I would, I would you know, venture a guess that it's not just the fossil fuel industry following this closely. I think it's every major <clears throat> industry who looks at like any yes. attempt to use our courts to uh, hold them to account or, or provide any level of redress for uh, people who have been victimized by their, their policy, which is basically putting profit over human life. That's exactly right. And, you know, 
Chevron, for example, won't pay the $9.5 billion it owes to the people of Ecuador in a case that we won. It's been 10 years. Okay, People are dying in Ecuador because Chevron won't pay the judgment. Yet Chevron has lobbyists right now on Capitol Hill trying to preserve the $40 billion public subsidies for the fossil fuel industry that the Biden administration is thinking of getting rid of. You know, they're grifters. You know, they, they went down to Ecuador and sucked out profits out of the Amazon and left behind all the pollution for the local, you know, for sort of the vulnerable local communities suffer, you know, and they're doing the same here. They, they live off taxpayer subsidies and they're basically in Ecuador. What they did is they, they lost the case and rather than pay, they're like, we're leaving, sold their assets. And like Ecuador is left with the cleanup tab. In the meantime, they go after me because I have helped hold them accountable by representing the indigenous groups down there. And, and they lock me up, you know, so they have too much power. And like, if judges don't stop this, stop this kind of behavior, this misconduct, this abuse of the system, we are going to be living in a very dark place soon. And we already are to some extent, but people need to wake up and really look at this. And also, if I can say, I mean, we're signing up people. We have 25,000 people now in our campaign. And if people can help, please go to my website. It's called donzigerdefense.com, D-O-N-Z-I-G-E-R-D-E-F-E-N-S-E, donzigerdefense.com. You can make a donation. The costs to deal with this are significant, to deal with lawyers and expenses and that kind of stuff, although most lawyers work for very low cost on my team. But also, even if you can't give, please sign up for the campaign. We put out a newsletter every couple of weeks explaining what's happening, asking people to take various actions. Like right now, um, Amnesty International wrote a letter to uh, Merrick Garland, the new AG, new attorney general, asking him to review the case and take it back from Chevron's private law firm. They could take it back into the Department of Justice so we can deal with professional prosecutors, not conflicted, you know, private prosecutors. Yeah, I mean, and the whole idea of a them- private prosecutor is, is so bone chilling to think about. I mean, even even if it's an unjust prosecution, the idea that like, you know, you should be prosecuted by a representative of the U.S. state, the Justice yeah, Department, and, whose and, boss and, is accountable to voters, theoretically. That's exactly right. And, and, and I will add this. Judge Kaplan in the court created some sort of taxpayer fund to pay these private prosecutors and they're billing taxpayers, three of them are billing, each billing $300 an hour. And so far, this is just what we know. They have been paid by taxpayers $464,000 to prosecute me in a misdemeanor when the United States Attorney's Office refused to take the case. You know, so, yeah. again, grift, grifter, right? Like, I mean, what, what's like, I, I just I don't even like it's, it's so hard to even figure out if you like, cause, like, you know, I'm not an expert, but like as someone who has like a rudimentary understanding about how our legal system is supposed to work, if the prosecutor declines to prosecute a case. Does, I mean, like, why shouldn't it end there if they're saying, hey, we passed, there's, there. there's nothing I mean, here. So, like, how did this get to the thing where the judge, it's this, it's this bizarre and rather open collusion between this judge and, and Chevron and their law firm? That's exactly right. It's a Chevron prosecution facilitated by a judge. It's inappropriate. It's, in my view, unethical. It's a conflict of interest. It's unconstitutional, in my view. And it's illegal under international law. And it's happening in New York. So, you know, yeah. And, and ultimately, you know, I have great hope that I will get through this and some judge or some appellate court somewhere will stop this or at least reverse it. You know, I mean, they're trying to put me in jail 
I mean, they already have put you in jail in a sense. Well, they put me in jail in my home, and they're going to try to put me in jail, jail without a jury. And this okay, is they're denying me a jury. Yeah, there's no jury trial for this, so it'll just be what it'll be like up to the judge's discretion about. It's up, the, it's up to the about, judge. It's Preston. up to the judge to decide if the the prosecutors that they appointed themselves met the standard for uh, whether you're guilt or innocent exactly. on a misdemeanor charge. Yeah. yeah, but think about this: the judge who's locked me up for 575 days now. Is the judge deciding whether I'm guilty or innocent of the underlying charge? I mean, the word Kafka S <laughs> gets thrown around a lot, but man, Jesus, Stephen. I mean, I guess like I mean, the other thing like this, the the absurdity of this is is the the, the terms of your 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 house arrest and confinement. You have not been convicted of this. You are you are awaiting trial on a misdemeanor, and you have an ankle bracelet. You have an ankle monitor on. Like how? Like how does that? How does that happen? Like there are people listen, listen, who get charged yeah, with murder who get get to walk no. around free before their trial. Yeah, I know. I mean, listen, the four cops who killed George Floyd are all free right now. Yeah, I'm um, I'm locked up, and I, I I what I did wrong, quote unquote, was win a big pollution judgment against Chevron, and it's obvious why this is happening. Is because Chevron is has has you know has has bent the will of a certain element of the federal judiciary to its wishes. And, you know, we're supposed to have an independent judiciary to check that kind of power. Instead that, you know, Chevron has bent that to its will and it's just, it's really controlling it. Um, And that's the world we live in right now with this case. And it's really not right. It's frightening. And it, it, you know, if it were happening in any other country, the entire U S Congress would be passing a resolution condemning it. So, I mean, you're, you're still awaiting trial, but like, is, is there a trial date set? Is, is, is there, is there something coming up that like, is like something's going to happen that'll like maybe just a break in this limbo that you're existing in right now? So a couple of things, there's, there's two important dates. Um, on March 10th, which is just a few days from now, um, I have an argument before the appellate court to get off home detention and, you know, anyone can dial in and listen. And we're urging people to listen and to bear witness you can go to this website that we set up for this purpose. It's called freedonziger.org, freedonziger, D-O-N-Z-I-G-E-R.org. Um, we'll put the phone number on there once we get it a couple of days before the argument. It's at 10 a.m. Eastern on the 10th, which I believe is next Wednesday. So people should just mark that down and dial in. And yeah, like I just like if, if I could make an a, a appeal here, I mean, like the fact that you can dial in and listen to the, l- listen to this, this, this hearing, I think is very important. I think the more people do this the better because i think that this is basically being allowed to happen to you because not enough people know about it and i think like just like the more exposure that the the absolute absurdity of what's 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 happened to you here i think if more people know about it i think like like that is uh can only help your defense and can only hinder uh the the you know like i said like the open corruption and oppression of you that is being carried out by a private law firm on behalf of the government yeah and by the way, the law firm's name is Seward and Kissel, S-E-W-A-R-D, um, K-I-S-S-E-L. Last week, 300 law students from 52 different law schools in America wrote their managing partner a letter saying they will never work at that firm. There's a boycott of the Seward and Kissel firm by law students to protest what they say is an unethical prosecution of me. So, you know, there's a of people who are really upset about this and the Seward and Kissel law firm, you know, they have significant ties to the oil and gas industry. Chevron's a client. 
They worked for a company called Oak Tree Capital. That's two executives on Chevron's board of directors. It's just unbelievable. You know, and when Judge Kaplan appointed this law firm, you know, first of all, when the, when the case was rejected, it should have dropped. But if he wanted to appoint a private lawyer to prosecute me, there's hundreds of, of disinterested, like neutral, former federal prosecutors he could have appointed. Why did he point, appoint the one firm that has close and deep financial ties to Chevron and the oil and gas industry? Because he wanted to ensure that, I would, that they would do what he wanted to try to crush me as so-called punishment for having the temerity to take on Chevron successfully on behalf of indigenous peoples. So this is a, this is a closed loop. Do you yeah. feel like we're in ju- in, for people like Judge Kaplan to, to, to go to take this extraordinary step? I mean, like, do you, you think it's like in, in their view of the world or their view of the law, what you did to Chevron by, you know, bringing this case in the first place, much let alone winning it, it just amounts to basically extorting a private company. Like, is, I think there's basically that how he looks at like people who seek, um, you know, environment, take environmental cases against large corporations that it's just basically it's seedy. It's sort of pseudo criminal in the first place to yeah. even question or to even like, you know, like to even bring up the fact that like maybe they have some sort of monetary responsibility to the thousands of people who have been stricken with cancer as a direct result of their actions. I think it's that. I think he just hates lawyers who take on the cause of human rights and the cause of environmental justice. I mean, he's a, he was a former tobacco industry lawyer. He worked for Brown and Williamson for many years. And he just thinks like the corporate form is like the best expression of like an economic system and American greatness, you know, and it's really scary. He hated me from day one. I could tell. Um, he never let me present evidence in my in the underlying racketeering case. He let Chevron, Chevron file against me. He wouldn't give me a jury. He wouldn't let me testify on direct. Um, he, he kept the names of witnesses secret from me. There were massive due process violations throughout in his court. And the irony is he concluded that in Ecuador, there were, you know, the, the, somehow the trial court didn't function properly. When in his court, that actually was the case. And it was not in Ecuador, because I don't know if I've mentioned this yet. There's been 29 different appellate judges in Ecuador and Canada who affirmed the validity of the Ecuador judgment. Judge Kaplan's the only one who said it wasn't valid. And he wouldn't even look at the evidence relied on by the Ecuador court to find that it, you know, to find against Chevron. And and, so, the, and the whole, I mean, we talked about this in the first time you came on, like the, their whole yeah. effort to get the trial in Ecuador in the first place was something they thought would be very much to their benefit. Yeah, they did until, until you know, we organized a team of great Ecuadorian lawyers who litigated the case and presented the evidence and won, as they should have, because the evidence against them is just overwhelming. I mean, they admit it. They admit that this is what they did. They just claim it didn't hurt anybody, you know. But yeah. They admit they dumped massive amounts of toxic waste into rivers and streams that indigenous peoples were relying on for their drinking water. And many have died, including young children of leukemia. I mean, babies are dying of leukemia down there. So, you know, they just went down there and cut and run. I mean, they took out all the profits, socialized the costs and, and fled the country. And then they come up here and act like, you know, they can avail themselves of our legal system to attack those who held them accountable. Um, it's, it's, it's really, uh, again, it's unprecedented and it's, it's something people need to pay attention to, obviously. You mentioned the, uh, on the March 10th um, hearing about your confinement. But what was, what was the second um, important date that's coming up for you? That's the trial on May 10th, where I'm going to be represented by Ron Kuby, Marty Garbutt, various lawyers who are working to help me pro bono, and they're really good lawyers. 
And they're going to be going toe to toe with this private Chevron prosecutor in court. And people can come to the court, you know, potentially, it depends on COVID, uh, but they can also listen in. And that trial could take several days. I'll be testifying. And we plan in that trial to tell, to show the truth of what happened, which is that I did nothing wrong. I was charged criminally as a way to silence me. Um, I, I, thousands of lawyers in America did exactly what I did to appeal a, a potentially unlawful discovery order. No one was ever charged with criminal contempt locked up other than me. So obviously this is, I think, a selective, malicious prosecution. Um, and there will be... It won't be a jury. The, the conclusion, if Judge Peska stays on the case, that's the judge appointed by Kaplan, who's a member of the Federalist Society, she'll definitely find me guilty. But let people be their own judges and bear witness. Listen to the evidence, because I believe I'm not the least bit guilty. But, you know, if I had a jury, this would not be happening. And there's a reason they're not giving me a jury, because they want to engineer the result, in my view. Well, I mean... Stephen, uh, like I like you know, just to, to close things out here. I mean, like you know, I've, I've been thinking about you ever since you know I first talked to you. Um, I've been trying to you know promote your case because I just think like uh, I, I think just pe- more people need to know about this because I think the, the more people who knew about it, the harder it would be for these people to do what they're doing. And I'm not saying like you know, I mean, they, they would probably still be doing what they're doing, but could we get like like you said, like this is in Manhattan? Could we get the New York Times or like any of the papers of record just to cover this trial? Just to like, just to even mention what's going on here, it would seem to be like a pretty compelling uh, story from a news angle. It's an incredible story. I mean, you know, I'm a Harvard law grad. I was in the same class as President Obama, and I'm like locked up for a year and a half in my home after winning the biggest environmental case ever. Why is that not being covered by the New York Times? I just, I'm astounded. And you know, look. People need to engage, you know, go to the website and sign up because there's going to be there's one group. I think Sunrise is organizing an event at the courthouse on March 10th um, to to express their disdain. They're upset at what's happening to me. And there's a lot of actions that can be taken. Um, again, go to uh, freedonziger.org and, or donzigerdefense.com and just get engaged because we need as many people as possible to to speak out about this, even if you're not around, like if you live wherever, not in New York, um, you can call into these proceedings and you can send emails and stuff and we'll tell you how to do it to really raise your voices um, in defense of me and my family and, and the people of Ecuador who, with whom I've worked for now 27 years, who really are tenacious, determined, sophisticated, courageous people who united indigenous peoples and rural farmer communities and took on one of the world's most powerful corporations and won, you know, so this needs to be recognized. I want to say yeah. this. No, I was going to say like in, in following your case, like I've always been, been, been very impressed with, I um, mean, like it obviously with the, the absurdity and horror of what's happened to you is one thing, but you've always been very clear that like this, this is about, this is about Ecuador. This is about the victims it is about of what, of, of yeah. Chevron basically doing a Chernobyl level environmental disaster on purpose in their country. Like these are the people who are, who are being oppressed by this corporate, this, this collusion of corporate and government power. Like, like this is the real violence and it's directed at them. Yeah. And and then they're, yeah. And they're attacking me to attack the people of Ecuador. I'm just, I'm like roadkill in between because I'm here, but I mean, the people of Ecuador, the, the, the indigenous leaders and the community leaders are amazing. 
I mean, it's been a privilege to represent them all these years. And they won the case. Let me be very clear. Chevron has lost. The communities in Ecuador have won. And these attacks are happening because our side, the Ecuadorian leaders, won historic judgment. So they're attacking their lawyer. It's that simple. You know, this is not happening because they did something wrong or something went amiss. This is happening because they did something right and everything worked out. So that's why we need to protect yeah, this and, judgment. And that's by why they're way. attacking you is because like this, like we said, this is, the, this is the message that they're sending to every other lawyer in the country and in the world who looks at this case and goes, oh, like I can think of 10 other examples of a corporation who's done something similar in the world. And like, you know, maybe like, you know, yeah, they should be sued for it. They should be held to account. And like, they, they know they're guilty as hell. I mean, and they know they no, lost the case. And, and they're, Their entire lawfare legal strategy to try to destroy the case and go after me is in itself criminal racketeering. I mean, it's basically a conspiracy to put in false evidence, to pay a witness, you know, this this guy they paid $2 million to, as a way to bring down a legitimate judgment, one in the court of a sovereign nation that's been affirmed by two Supreme Courts, one in Ecuador, one in Canada, and 29 appellate judges. I mean, that's the racketeering conspiracy. Right there. It's the Chevron lawyers and the Chevron executives and their allies who have orchestrated this. And that is that is the very definition of a conspiracy. But they act like they're the ones protecting the rule of law. We're protecting the rule of law, the judgment that was won in Ecuador that needs to be enforced. And by the way, I just want to mention there's we have a this case does not live and die based on what happens to Stephen Donziger personally. You know, we have other lawyers working on this internationally who are exploring ways to enforce the judgment against Chevron's assets to force the company to comply with the rule of law and pay what they owe. Well, I mean, Stephen, I guess like I just, uh, for, for anyone listening out there, I mean, like, uh, who's hearing this and wants to get interested in the case or wants to support. I mean, I just think everyone should think very seriously about what it would mean if they were allowed to not just get away with this, but to get away with it in such a way that almost nobody even is aware of it or that there's, that, that there's no, even out, even outrage in in the mainstream media or in any like traditional source of uh, any institution that's meant to hold to be a check on this kind of power or, or this kind of abuse of power, I should say. I think people should consider very carefully like what the implications of like the the larger implications of this case mean for uh, n- not just your ability to uh, challenge corporate power, but like even more frightening. Your ability to, I mean, like, how, like, what will be done to you if you successfully challenge corporate power in any way? Yeah, that's, that's, that's the big question, right? I mean, if you don't, if you're not successful, this kind of stuff tends not to happen. Um, and I will say this for those who really want to dig in and follow like daily events, please follow me on Twitter at S Donziger, D O N Z I G E R, and you can get a ton of information about the case, you know, multiple times a day on my Twitter feed. All right, Stephen. Uh, we will have we'll have the links to your to your website. We'll have information about um, how to call into the trial uh, on March tenth. Uh, we'll or, or just any 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 way to support you. We all all the information and relevant links and information will be in the show description of this episode of the show. So I just in, in final, I just want to say, Stephen, uh, thank you so much for uh, what you're doing. And I would just like to say, you know, please stay strong and uh, hang in there. Thank you, Will, and I appreciate the support of you and the show. It means a lot to us. Thank you so much. Stephen Donzinger, ladies and gentlemen, uh, like I said, like uh, look, look into this case, and um, you will be uh, interested, to say the least, if not terrified like I am. 
So uh, thank you so much for your time, and I hope everyone can can support in some way, or call into the trial, or show up at the courthouse, or just or just yeah, just just spread just even the fact that this story exists on your own. Like it would be would go a long way because, it, like as I said, it was, it's very hard to imagine them being able to do something this outrageous. I mean, as as powerful as these people are, and as unscrupulous as they are, it is very hard for me to imagine they would have be able to do this so easily if more people knew about what was happening. Thanks, man. Appreciate it.